St. James. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad that you're here. A couple of notices real quick. Um, Everything's on for this week. Uh, Bible study, youth confirmation, Um, men's Bible study Tuesday morning. Our first meeting in this new section is Tuesday morning, 630. If you have any questions about that, get a hold of Tim Schnicker. Uh, You can find out from him uh, how to order the book that we're studying, and he'll be leading it. Uh, No uh, ladies Bible study this Saturday morning, though. Uh, they're taking the week off. Don't forget, if you're interested, yoga at 7 o'clock on Thursday evenings here at the church. Uh, questions about that? Megan Ranbarger is leading that, and you can get a hold of her. If you don't have her number, get a hold of the office or get a hold of me, and I can pass that on to you. Um, okay, I'll read the announcement in there about the youth group mission trip, and if you have any questions, talk to Stacy Stocky or Katie Kylie Mann. We sent out... You, you, you should have gotten, uh, at some point this week, you should have gotten um, an email with a link to a survey about possible changes to worship times. Um, we're trying to hopefully get to where we can have a mask optional service. And also, that's uh, one of the priorities. The other priority is to start having um, youth Sunday school and adult Bible study here um, in person uh, during the morning. If you could fill that out, that survey out, if you haven't already, and then um, turn that in sometime today or tomorrow, the elders are going to be getting together to look at those and talk about what our next steps can be. If you do that survey and there's something that you want to say that's not addressed, and there's lots of questions and options in that survey, but if there's something that you're thinking that's not addressed, if you could get a hold of me or one of the other elders, and uh, so we can kind of know what you're thinking about that as, as we go into shifting back to hopefully um, worship life, being more normal. So try and get that done today if you haven't done it already, uh, and I appreciate it. Okay, I think that's all we have uh, for notices. Go ahead and stand. 
And let's open in prayer. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, we need you so much. This is uh, um, not going to be successful. And when I, mean, when I say this, I mean our, our, the worship service this morning, our friendships, um, our marriages, our um, job life, our vocational life, whatever that is. Uh, we need you uh, so desperately. And we thank you uh, that you have come. And uh, we pray that you would continue to uh, fill us with um, your power, uh, fill us with the connection to Jesus that is yours by being uh, related to him and being sent out to us by him. We pray in Jesus' name that you would fill us with your presence this morning, that you would connect us to our Father in heaven, that you would connect us to our Savior, that you would make uh, the truths of your word real and powerful and fresh to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let us confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from Romans chapter 5. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stay standing for the opening hymn. Psalm 104, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Glory be to the Father and to the Son 
and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. So the Old Testament reading is from Ezekiel 37. Uh, You'll recognize this a lot of you. This is the famous uh, dry bones text. The coming of the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel 37 is directly connected to new birth, regeneration. Uh, This is one of the key prophecies in the Old Testament about the resurrection from the dead. So uh, Ezekiel, this is what happens to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. So he's at, he's at a battle scene, and uh, so, you know, ancient world, um, uh, there's a battle, lots of people are slaughtered, and then you just move away, and the bodies are left there to rot. And the spirit led me around them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. They'd been dead for a long time. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live. I guess I should say this. In Greek and in Hebrew, both, this is in Hebrew, the word for breath and the word for spirit is the exact same word. We don't have that in English. We have separate words. But this is actually, uh, he's calling to the spirit to come and breathe on them and fill them. Or the wind, depending on how you want to interpret it. In the context, though, I actually prefer spirit. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath, or the spirit, came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And behold, they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in verse 14, it's, I will put my spirit within. It's actually the same word that he's used for wind or breath earlier, but there he that the translators translate it spirit. I wish they would translate it the same way all throughout. But anyway, Acts 2, 1 through 21, is, it's the, this is the Acts reading, and this is the day of Pentecost, uh, the first day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They they, they had all come for the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the great feasts where all Jews from wherever they were at in the world were uh, invited slash required to travel back to Jerusalem for this great feast. So there would be at that time people with all different kinds of languages there in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, 
and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, grant 
Please stand for the gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 15 and 16. Jesus said, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Okay, I'm gonna, uh, this is going to be a little bit different today, uh, the sermon is. I'm going to, I, I usually try to preach um, an expository sermon where I work through a text that's almost always my uh, MO. Today I'm going to preach a, a little bit of a topical sermon that's going to be a little bit more theological. And the reason why is because there, there's something I want to do that's kind of a big picture thing. And that is I want to talk about Ascension and Pentecost together. Ascension is, um, um, that, that's the day we celebrated a, a week and a half or so ago. Ascension is the day when we celebrate Jesus returning to his, the right hand of his father. Uh, we really don't know too much about what that was about, except for Luke tells us at, um, in, uh, the, at the beginning of the book of Acts. But John, Jesus, as he's talking here in the Gospel of John, makes it clear that these two things are connected. Jesus' ascension back up to the right hand of his father, and the, day, the Pentecost, the, the, uh, the day when the Holy Spirit is sent out onto all believers for spiritual gifting and for power that these two days are inextricably linked. And so I have no, I've never done this before when I've taught or preached this, but I kind of want to pull the two of them together, and I'll tell you why as I'm going along. So this is just going to be a little bit different. We're not going to work our way through the gospel reading. We're going to be kind of bouncing around, looking at different texts about Pentecost and Ascension. Also, the other thing I wanted to do is, uh, with this sermon was introduce what we're going to be doing during the season of Pentecost. Now, um, I bounce back and forth. Some of you have asked me about this, and so I'll just give you kind of my philosophy real quick. Here's kind of a 30-second commercial for what I do. I typically bounce back and forth in my sermons between the lectionary readings, which are common to a large number of Christian churches. So, for instance, there's a lot of churches in Edwardsville and Glen Carver that are reading these specific readings this morning. I bounce back and forth between doing that and doing... Um, series on specific uh, books of the Bible or texts in the Bible. And this summer, the, the reason why I do that is because I, the lectionary readings are good. First of all, they bind us to the rest of the Christian church. It's nice to know that, um, now I don't know exactly what all these churches are doing, but the Methodist church across the street and uh, um, Presbyterian churches in town and even a few Baptist churches in town are all reading the same text of Scripture this morning. It's nice to know that we're all praying about and thinking about these texts of Scripture with them. However, the weakness of the lectionary is it does not cover. It takes us three years to get through a cycle of the lectionary, and it still does not cover every text in the Bible. But we're called to 
study every text in the Bible. I'm called to teach and preach the whole counsel of God. And so if I stay with the lectionary, there's text of the scripture that will never get studied in here, and I don't want to do that. So I bounce back and forth. This summer, what I'd like to do is to stick with the lectionary readings for this summer. The lectionary gospel readings are all in the gospel of Mark. And I kind of want to work through the gospel of Mark this summer and think about a specific question related to Ascension and Pentecost. That's my second uh, notice here at the beginning of the sermon. And my third one is this, unrelated to the first two, a slight caveat. There's a very, very interesting series of verses in our gospel reading. In John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, is this famous text, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Here's my caveat. I'm not going to talk about these verses this morning. And unfortunately, I just don't have enough time. And this text is so dense. And kind of what I'm trying to do here, a big picture sort of thing, it's just going to get left out. However, if you come to the Bible study, the Zoom Bible study at 1230, I will start by briefly discussing uh, those three or four verses there. I, I know they're important. I'm not blowing them off because I think they're not important. I just, there's only so much time and uh, so much willpower on your part to sit here and listen to me talk. So we're just going to have to bypass that in the sermon. But again, 1230 on Zoom, if you want to show up and we can discuss that for a few minutes. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about ascension and Pentecost. So let's first of all talk about ascension. This is what Jesus is referring to when he says um, in verse 8, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 5 of uh, chapter 16. This is about halfway down if you're looking at your bulletin. But now I am going to him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave and go back to the right hand of my Father. He's referring to the ascension. Jesus leaves, he ascends, and goes back to the right hand of his father. What is this about? I've always, uh, up until recently, it, that's always seemed to me like a bit of a hole in the plot. You know, like why, why, why would Jesus, wouldn't it be better if he had just sort of like stayed here? I mean, second person in the Trinity, I'm assuming he's completely immortal. Why wouldn't he just stay here and take care of business? Why would he go away? Like if I was skeptical, I might say, well, of course you have to have him go away because he was just a dude, right? I mean, at some point he died. You can't have him. He's not going to be here, so make up a miraculous story about him going to heaven. As a believer, I would say, you know, I wish he was here. It seems kind of unfortunate. It seems second best, right? When Angela and I, Angela and I were dating, and she's a year older than me, and I was, I was still in college my senior year, we were dating, and she had already graduated, and she was the editor of a newspaper in a town in Missouri. So we were five or 600 miles away. And, you know, it's a situation like a lot of people go through long-term relationships where we can't be together in person, but at least we can talk on the phone, right? We should be grateful for that. If this was uh, 60 or 70 years earlier, 100 years earlier, we just have to write letters or send telegrams. So we should be grateful. We're not together in person, but we have something second best. And that, that's the, I, honestly, that's the way I typically thought of the ascension up until uh, fairly recently, that Jesus is gone. Well, you can still pray to him, you know. You have the Bible, and not to denigrate at all prayer in the Bible, but it'd be nice if Jesus was here in person, right? Now, that's exactly what John says, or Jesus says in the Gospel of John, is not the case. In verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Jesus says, it's better if I'm not here. It's better for you if I'm not here. So whatever else the ascension is, we know that it's better to live now in the era of the ascension, in the era of the Holy Spirit, even than it would be to troop around Galilee with Jesus in person back in the day. I mean, Jesus himself says it. It's better for you if I go away. This is going to actually, you're going to, this is going to be greater for you. So we know it's good. Now, one, one of the misunderstandings we can make, so, okay, so let's, we need to talk in a few minutes about why it's good. I'm going to do that. First of all, though, let me say one of the mistakes that we can make is to assume that, okay, so it's good. Jesus going away is good. The Holy Spirit coming down is good. It's, it's actually even better, he says, than when Jesus was here in person. One of the mistakes that we don't want to make is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are kind of tag-teaming it. 
right? Jesus is like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. Holy Spirit, you know, it's like shift work. Like Jesus is, he clocks out and then the Holy Spirit's here. Uh, The church has made this mistake sometimes that we're living in the era of the Spirit. And so kind of the restrictive era of Jesus that's over now and now we're into this new, you kind of have to wing it. It's you really don't know what's going on, but you just kind of go with the spiritual flow. The church has made this mistake quite frequently when it, when it loosens its ties to the person of Jesus. A couple of quick examples. Um, uh, the church in Germany during World War II, um, losing its ties to the historical Jesus, which was a long time coming in Germany. Germany for the, uh, about 150 years, 200 years before that, typically the theological trend in Germany was to abandon the reality of Jesus for this sort of like spiritual understanding of the mission of the loving God exemplified in the boldness and the nobility and the purity of the message of this wonderful teacher, Jesus. Well, once you abandon Jesus as God incarnate, crucified and risen for the Jesus who was living the life of the Spirit and was patting babies on the head and touching men everywhere with his brilliant wisdom. Once you, once you divorce yourself from the real Jesus and follow after the Jesus who just apparently, uh, weirdly enough, happened to look like an 1800s Germany theology professor, once you abandon the Jesus for that, well, then it's easy to, you're not tied to anything. And something new and powerful and scary comes along and it's easy for the church to kind of go along with it. Well, this is the, this is the way that the, um, I, we could do philosophy all day long. I could talk to you about Hegel and historical trends and the life of the Spirit. The church, divorced from Jesus, went right along with the, with the trends in society. Uh, this happens, too, uh, in the United States. And I, I gave you this quote a couple of weeks ago. I was looking, um, don't want to get into it too much, but I was looking this pastor up on the Internet and his bio on his church's website said, um, I quoted this to you a few weeks ago. He said, I believe the Christian church will exist for forever, but I know that God is doing something new and powerful and fresh in the life of the Spirit. You see what he's saying? Christianity, that's good. I think that that's going to last. But what I know for certain is that there's this new, fresh life of the Holy Spirit dynamic which subtext, if you know him in his church, the subtext is there's this new non-binary, non-oppressive thing that's going on in the church where the sexual revolution gets to have a voice and materialism gets to have a voice and capitalism and political philosophy and communism, whatever, gets to have a voice too. Well, divorced from Jesus, the life of the spirit divorced from Jesus is not a good thing. So we want to avoid, when we say, when Jesus says in John 16 that the ascension is actually better for you, he is not saying my absence is better from you because, here we go, this is, we're about to talk about what the ascension actually is. The ascension is not Jesus leaving. I'm going to say that again because this is super important. The ascension is not about Jesus leaving. In fact, the New Testament insists that Jesus has not left, weirdly enough. That whatever else the ascension means, it does not mean that Jesus is gone. Very last line of the Gospel of Matthew 28, chapter 28, the very last thing that Matthew has Jesus saying is, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Whatever else the ascension is, it's not Jesus being gone because Matthew insists Jesus is with us forever. The ascension instead, not Jesus' absence, but I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture quotes here in a minute. The ascension means that Jesus is now the Lord over everything. Jesus is sitting at the hand of his right father, and that means he is the master of the universe. That he's completely in charge of every square inch of his creation in a way that he was not prior to that. From the right hand of his father, he oversees and rules everything in ways that he did not do, even though he was the Lord of the universe, in ways that he did not do when he was walking around Galilee and Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Let me give you some text here. Acts 2. This is actually from the first Pentecost sermon. We didn't get there that far in the Acts reading this morning. But Peter says this. He's talking about Jesus. He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, in other words, the ascension, right? And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing here. So here you have this connection again. Jesus ascends to the right hand of his Father, and that means he's received the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he can pour out on everybody. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, whom you have crucified. The fact that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of his Father does not mean that he's gone. It means that now he is the Lord and Messiah of the whole universe, and that somehow that's connected to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, I already read that. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, I just preached on this a few months ago. Paul says this, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus, it's the ascension, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <coughs> because of the ascension, Jesus Christ has now been exalted and is the Lord of the universe so that every tongue will, 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 uh, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to him. Ephesians 1 verse 20, it's kind of a longer one, so pay, pay close attention. God worked in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So God raised Jesus from the dead and brought him up to his right hand and seated him there. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So when Paul says, Paul says this uh, uh, several times in his writings, when Paul says that Jesus is far above every rule and dominion authority, he means every political figure that is opposed to Jesus. Jesus sits above them and is in charge. In other words, because God has exalted Jesus to his right hand, he is now above the president of the United States. He's above the prime minister of England. He's above every other political ruler and authority. He is the Lord of the universe going on in this text. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So for Paul, for John, for Peter, the fact that Jesus has been ascended to the right hand of the Father doesn't mean that he's gone. It means that he's now in charge of every square inch of the universe. One more text, Romans 8, 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? There's actually very, very this is very, very practical in Romans 8. What cultural or political power can ever say, you, Christian, are not valid? You have no place here in this culture. Paul's argument is that no one has that power. Nobody can lay a charge to God's elect. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Because Jesus is at the right hand of God, nobody can ever say, you are not worthy, or you are invalid, or you deserve to be marginalized. As long as Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's completely in charge of every square inch of God's territory, of every square inch of the universe, okay? Huge thing. Jesus sitting at the right hand of Father means that he is completely in charge. This is what the ascension is. Now, the question is, how does Jesus exercise that authority from the right hand of his son. So first of all, let me do this real quick. It's an interesting fact. The New Testament writers, when they talk about Jesus coming back someday, will sometimes talk about him coming back as though he's somewhere on a journey, but he's coming back home. More frequently, though, they will use the word parousia, which means his appearing. That Jesus will appear someday at his second appearing What's the implication there? Is that Jesus isn't somehow absent, but he's somehow not visible. That somehow he's here ruling and reigning, just like he did 2,000 years ago, only he's not localized. You know, 2,000 years ago, one day he's in Nazareth, the other day he's in Capernaum, the next month he's in Jerusalem. Now he's everywhere. That's what Pentecost is about. That's what Pentecost is about, is now... Jesus rules and reigns personally through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what I mean now? I'm going to look, we'll look at some text here in a second. Do you see what I mean, though, about it's not a tag team situation? It's not that Jesus is leaving and now the Holy Spirit's here to pick up where he left off. The Holy Spirit is here, but the Holy Spirit is here exercising Jesus' authority right now. Let's look at that. Pentecost. So the ascension means that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, the position of ultimate and absolute authority. Pentecost means that Jesus is exercising that authority via the third person of the Trinity, via the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is here in Glen Carbon right now, just as real, just as powerful as he was when he was in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. 
So first of all, look at our text. The Holy Spirit, his main job is to connect us to Jesus. Verse 26, in that day you will ask in my, I'm sorry, I'm in the, the wrong text. Uh, chapter 16, um, chapter 15, verse 26. This is uh, the first part of our reading. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit is always a Jesus witnessing spirit. The Holy Spirit is never here on his own authority. The Holy Spirit is always the Jesus Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's job? Think about this. Think about the different answers that you've had during your life or that I've said from the pulpit, different churches have said. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin. Okay, that's true. The Holy Spirit's job is to, um, uh, to lead and guide and direct us. Yes, that's true. The Holy Spirit's job is to give us a sense of the power and presence of God as we worship Jesus in song. Yes, that's true, but all of that's secondary to his main job, which is to connect us to Jesus. And all throughout John 14 through 17, whenever Jesus, whenever Jesus talks about the Spirit, he always insists that the Spirit is going to be all about me. The Spirit is going to teach you my words. Chapter 16, verse 14, this is near the end of our reading. He will the Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit will glorify me. There's a great, I just read uh, J.R. Packer's, Packer's Keep in Step with the Spirit. And there's a great analogy that other pastors have mentioned before there. The Spirit is like this. In the Gospel of John, the Spirit is like this magnificent floodlight. When you see this floodlight, you know, so you, the floodlight's on at night, and it's showing the front of this. Do you remember, when I was a kid, this was kind of a big deal. Like you would see these uh, floodlights pointed up in the sky and circling around. You don't see that too much anymore. But whenever you saw that, you knew there was a chance that if you went to where that floodlight was flashing around, there might be one of those cheapo carnivals in the parking lot there. One of the ways they would advertise was like this flood. So when you get there, you know, you, the floodlight would be there and you would follow that floodlight to go there to, you know, to the cheapo carnival. But when you get there, you wouldn't be like, oh, cool, let's go look at the floodlight. You'd be like, no, let's ride the Rocco plane, you know, or let's get some cotton candy or something. Why? Because the floodlight's job was never, ever to be there for its own end. The floodlight's job was to pull you to the main deal, which was the carnival. The Holy Spirit is a floodlight. He's powerful. He's illuminating. He fills the sky with his brightness. But when you get there, you realize that what he's actually illuminating is not his own glory, his own power. He's pointing the way to Jesus. He is a Jesus spirit. Um, he does this a couple of ways. Uh, by reminding us, by pointing us to the words of Jesus. Look at chapter 16, uh, verses 12 through 13. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The words of Jesus, the Holy Spirit declares the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit speaks Jesus' words. In chapter 14, this isn't in your reading, it's a chapter before. If you're looking in your Bible, though, it's chapter, uh, John chapter 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, while well, I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, the Holy Spirit's job is to bring to mind the things that Jesus said and remind us of them. The Holy Spirit focuses on the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit also focuses on the works of Jesus. This is an unbelievable text I'm about to read to you from John chapter 14. And it goes along with verse 7 that we just read a few minutes ago where Jesus says, if I ascend to my Father, if I pour out upon you the Holy Spirit, you'll like it even more. It'll be even better than walking around with me personally. John chapter 14, verse 12 says this. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my Father. Because Jesus ascends to his Father, we're able to do greater works than Jesus. Can I say that one more time? I just, like, this is maybe the most important thing I'm going to say in the sermon today. I'm just going to, I'm going to rephrase John 14, verse 12. Because Jesus has ascended to his Father you and I are able to do greater works than Jesus. Let me say something, because this is where I'm headed here in a minute, and we'll be done in just a minute or two. We have this deal in the Christian church that somehow Jesus being gone, the ascension, now we're kind of in second best land. Now things are getting worse and worse, and we need Jesus to come back and make things better again. This is not the way Jesus talks about it. 
Jesus says that when I ascend to my Father and when I pour out upon you guys the Holy Spirit, you will do greater works than I will do. Well, now think about the works Jesus has done. Jesus preaches the gospel and people believe. Jesus says, come follow me and people follow. Jesus heals sick people. Jesus feeds hungry people. Why is it that we're not being John 14, 12? Why is it that somehow we're not even coming close to doing the works that Jesus did when he told us that we would? Somewhere there's something missing. Somewhere we've stopped believing in the promise of the ascension and the promise of Pentecost. Somewhere we've caved in and we've settled for second best. Well, I can talk to Angela on the phone. That's, that's, just, that's, the, that's the best I can do. And somehow we've forgotten that somehow by the power of the ascension and by the power of Pentecost, Jesus is here in St. James Glen Carbon, ready to explode in Glen Carbon and Edwardsville for his mission. This brings me to my last thing. This is the payout, okay? And we'll be done in just a second. Jesus says to his disciples in John 20, as the Father is sent, has sent me, so I'm sending you. Jesus does not say, my mission here is done. Lay low, play it cool, make babies. Every once in a while, go out and do a little bit of evangelism. and Just kind of relax. I'll be back to make things better someday. He says, as the Father sent me to do what? To bring about the kingdom. So I'm sending you to continue it. This is, why Jesus does, this is why Jesus left to go to the right hand of his Father. This is why Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus didn't want to heal people, preach the gospel, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the prisoners. He didn't just want to do that in Galilee. He wanted to do that in Glen Carbon as well. And for him to do that, for, for Jesus to be in Glen Carbon right now, and in Kenya right now, and in China right now, and in Israel right now, and in England right now, and all over the world right now, for Jesus to do that, he knew, if I can ascend to the right hand of my Father, and pour myself out in the person of the Holy Spirit, I can be everywhere. I can do the things I was doing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I can do them right now in 2021. And somehow the church has let him down. Somehow the church has failed in this mission, lack of faith, um, not understanding what ascension and Pentecost mean. I don't know what it is. But that's what Jesus' goal is. So let me talk about three, three things that, I, that have kind of... Um, Three questions that I've been thinking about the past few weeks that actually was going to do something different through Pentecost. We were going to talk about Colossians 1. We are going to talk about the Trinity. And now we're going to talk about the Gospel of Mark. And I'll tell you why. Three questions. One, um, uh, Pam, some of you know Pam, she emailed me a couple weeks ago. I think I mentioned this last week in my sermon. And she said, what are we doing like in our culture now for the sake of the kingdom? And I shot her back this like great pastor answer, you know, pray, study your Bible love your neighbors. And she, she said, well, okay, so that's, I, I know what you're saying. Like practically, what does that look like? What should I be doing? You just said a bunch of religious words, Aaron, but like, what do I do? And I thought, well, okay, I need to actually think about this. Like I pulled my pa- pastor, usually that cuts off the emails coming back, you know, like, oh, thank you. And it didn't work, you know, she was going to press on the, so what should we be doing? How can we be, how can we, be, it's not good enough just to say, well, Jesus did it 2,000 years ago, and someday he's going to come back and fix everything. He's actually calling us to be sent like the Father sent him. Second question, related to this, believe it or not, what's all this stuff in the Gospels between Jesus' birth and his death and resurrection? All these stories, why are they there? For a lot of evangelical Christians, Jesus could have been born of a virgin in Bethlehem, The Romans could have found him, this is gruesome, crucified him as an infant, and he could have risen from the dead, and it would have been just the same to us. You know, the Apostles' Creed is like this. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. That's a huge leap. He gets born, and then he suffers. What about all that stuff in between? What's going on there? What's all that stuff that Jesus is doing? Now, some people are going to say, well, that's in there to prove that he's divine, Right? I mean, the only problem with it is it doesn't really prove that he's divine. He does miracles, yes. Lots of people do miracles. Peter's doing miracles in Acts. Elijah's doing miracles in the Old Testament. The miracles don't prove that he's divine. It might prove that he has God's power. It doesn't prove that he's divine. If he wants to prove that he's divine, he does not do a great job of it, right? It's, it's implicit. He never like, comes out and boldly says, hey, write this down, second person of the Trinity. I know he accepts worship. 
He accepts prayer. He accepts divine titles. But it's all very sort of subtle and implicit. So if he's trying to prove that he's divine, he doesn't do a, a bang-up job. I, be, I totally believe you. I'm not, you guys, you're not hearing what I'm not saying, right? I believe that Jesus is the second person in the Trinity. I just don't think that's what the Gospels are trying to prove. Maybe it's he's trying. Maybe maybe the liberal theologians in the uh, German 19th, 19th century were right. Maybe it's just he's teaching about teaching us about the way of love. And of course, there's and Jesus does love sometimes, but sometimes he doesn't love. Sometimes he's like super frustrated with his friends. Sometimes he makes whips and beats people until they get out of the courtyard of his father's house. He's not always loving, right? Maybe it's not that. Theology lessons? Maybe he spent three years like teaching theology. But anybody who's read like Paul, like you go to the Gospels and Jesus is not exactly explaining justification by faith in this thorough way that you'd like him to be doing. Instead, let me tell you what he's doing. He's bringing about the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing. When Adam and Eve sinned, they screwed up the whole creation. People get sick. Relationships get broken. People have mental health issues. People have financial issues. And we all die. And when Jesus shows up in Galilee, one of the things he starts doing is starts undoing that. The effects of the fall, he starts worming his way against them. He starts pulling them back. Sick people. Well, there's always going to be sickness in the world. And Jesus is like, maybe not. Let's see what we can do here. People with broken relationships. Jesus says, look, let's see if we can fix this. Death. We know of at least three times when Jesus said, I can fix that. Now, I know it's all sort of before the end. It's all sort of a signpost to the end. Jesus doesn't raise Lazarus from the dead and he stay alive forever. He eventually dies again. But one of the things Jesus is doing, this is the main thing he's doing in the four Gospels, is working against the effects of the fall. Last questions. Last question. This is the third one. Why do we study the Gospels in depth during the church year after we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection? So you have um, Lent, right, and Holy Week, where you're focusing on Jesus' death and resurrection. And then after that, we're reading the end of the Gospel of Mark. And then after that, starting right now, then we go back to the middle part of the Gospel of Mark. Why is that? The answer is, is because Jesus' death and resurrection empowers us to do now here in Glen Carbon what Jesus did on this earth. God has called us, let me say this, I, this is one of my favorite things to say to you guys. Why did God save you? Why did Jesus die and rise from the dead? If you say, so I can go to heaven when I die, that's not the right answer. It's never in the Bible like that. Do you go to heaven when you die? Yes, but that's never the goal in the Bible. Why did Jesus pour out his Holy Spirit on you? So you can be convicted of your sin, so that you personally can um, have a better relationship with Jesus. Yes, but that's not the main goal. Why did Jesus ascend to his right, the right hand of his Father? Why did Jesus pour out his Holy Spirit upon us? So that we could be on the mission of Jesus. So that the things that Jesus did in Galilee, we could do even bigger and better and greater things. Not us. Jesus through us is what 1 Corinthians 12 is about, right? The Holy Spirit comes to make us the body of Christ here in Edwardsville and Glen Carbon. Jesus could be doing those things even now. It's all about the mission of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God for the Holy Spirit because Jesus says in Luke, if anybody asks me for the Holy Spirit, I always give it to him. We're going to immerse ourselves in God's word. We're going to be people who feed on and bathe in God's word. And then we're not going to sit in here and look at each other and say, well, you guys have good theology, so we're cool, right? What we're going to do is we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to exercise the power of the risen and ascended Jesus through us, and Glenn Carbon is going to be changed. Glenn Carbon is going to become just as affected as Galilee was in Jesus' day by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's do that. Stand with me and let's pray for just that, and then let's have communion. <coughs> let's pray. Father, we, we want to be on your mission. We want to be, we want your son Jesus to be exercising his kingdom authority through us. We, we don't just want to show up here on Sunday mornings and listen to a, a, probably a fairly boring lecture and sing some uh, probably fairly boring hymns and then walk out of here to our fairly boring lives. We know that's not what you're about, that you want to change the world, that you want to turn Edwardsville and Glen Carbon upside down. 
God, we want your son, Jesus, to be doing that. And let us be a part of that, Father. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us with your power, the power of your son, Jesus, to transform Edwardsville and Glen Carbon into a place of physical health, spiritual health, kingdom health, where people who do not know you come to know you, where people with broken relationships have relationships healed by the power of your son, Jesus. God, will you, would you do this? We're praying in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would do this that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on on us now to make this a reality. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for all the other churches in the area as well. You did not not raise up St. James to be the sole church of this area. All these other bodies of you, however sinfully we're fractured by different theology and by stubbornness and just by studying your word and coming to different conclusions, we know that that's not right. But we also know that your hand is in these different uh, church bodies and that you've raised us all up to see your kingdom grow together. And so we pray for all of them, that every church this morning that's preaching your gospel faithfully, that's committed to the ministry of your Holy Spirit and your word, we pray that you would bless them so that we could all see the kingdom of God grow together. We also pray especially for our LCMS churches, And this morning, we want to pray for um, Holy Cross in Collinsville and Pastor Wright, who's there, that you would bless them with the power of your gospel and that they too could see your kingdom grow in Collinsville by the power of your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the ascension of your son, Jesus, and the outpouring of your Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we can only pray these things because you're the kind of God who wants to bless us that you're the kind of God who would pour out this power upon us, weak, rebellious, prone to wonder, creatures of yours, just because you love us. And so we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the dead for our justification and for our kingdom empowering. And we pray, Lord, that you would do your will, that you would be on your mission, that your kingdom would be growing. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Confess with me, if you can, uh, the words of the Apostles' Creed, which are printed in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Please stand. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Look around and find somebody that you don't recognize or that you have not talked to recently and make a relationship. Go in peace.